Hello and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was and dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds. We're going to reach back to a sermon that was preached by Jason a week and a half ago, and it was such a valuable topic, such a very, very well done sermon that I think we just we can't let it go by. He preached it on a Sunday evening, and it was on the subject of hell. And this is something that uh, a lot of people have just given up on. Uh, there was a very famous preacher in the country who said that uh, he has not mentioned the word hell in his sermons in the last 25 years, which is scary. Uh, another well-known author said if he ever said the word hell in a sermon, his congregation would faint because they just don't hear these things anymore. Uh, in our culture today, that word has been used as a figure of speech, is what people say when they're mad. But it's a biblical, biblical concept. And so first of all, we, we would encourage our listeners, if you haven't had a chance, after this podcast, to go back, look on our website, and you'll find the, the sermon listed there. And it would be very helpful for you to look at that. And so let's first of all go back to the sermon itself, Jason, kind of what lets you walk us through a little bit. And then from that, there, there are some questions people always have about this subject. And, and I think it's very valuable that we preach this, we talk about this. This is a part of the Bible. And we cannot keep any part out, and we need to see how important this is. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, um, I, I, it struck me as we were winding down this first quarter of the year, our focus, Roger, you and I in sermons and classes, has been what was started. And we've looked at a wide variety of things, of course, uh, rooting that in God. What matters most is what God started, what God's mission is, and, and then just to play our part well, right? But the more that I thought about that, sub-theme for the year, the more this kind of bubbled to the surface for me, and it's it's fascinating how it ties directly to this theme. And so I just started by noticing kind of the arc of things in in the Bible as far as how God describes our lives. He he started a fleeting measure of our days here on the earth. We're we're not here on this side of death for eternity. He started uh, this system whereby spirits return to the God who gave them. He has started a place that is prepared for those who cling to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. But he also started a place prepared for the devil and his angels. He gave us a promise not to overlook evil and he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. And so we just walked down that path a little. Some on that day are going to be told to depart. Why? Because they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Well, where are they going to be told to depart to? And that is where the Bible unashamedly describes hell. And so, uh, just to begin with, as, as we think about this, you brought up that passage in Matthew that uh, hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. Yes. I've, I've, I've always fascinated that when you put that beside John 14, where Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. Yes. Uh, God didn't intend for people to go to hell. 
Uh, it's made for the devil, and and it, it's it's not a nice place, as you said. It, it's a place of torment. It's a place of agony and pain. But people who live without God will find themselves. That is the world without God, right. and and that's significant for us to see and, and understand that. So uh, let, let's just talk about a few questions here as we begin this. And one of the things that that uh, before we get to some of these questions that again we need to appreciate again it's it's interesting how through the years we just get these ideas in our minds and we just assume that they're true i think a lot of people have in their mind that god is in charge of heaven and the devil's in charge of hell yeah and you've seen these little cartoons or or comic strips where you know the devil's down there with his pitchfork and is jabbing people they're standing in line in hell well, that's not the that's not the case. That passage in Matthew and in the book of Revelation, it talks about how the devil is going to be punished in hell. God's in charge of both places, right? And and the devil has no charge after that. And so, uh, I think that's significant to see that it is not his playground. It is not his domain. He is cast there by God who reigns over all. Absolutely. So, one of the first questions I think people have, and this is. This is a, a balancing thing that people struggle with, and that is over and over we talk about the love of God. God so loved the world. God is love. All, all these powerful, powerful passages, God demonstrates his love. How does a loving God and hell fit? Because it seems like they're opposites, and that's how a lot of people look at that. A uh, loving God would not have hell. Yeah, yeah. You know, what helps me and what I, one of the passages that I tried to point out in the front half of this sermon is from Romans chapter 12, where God calls his children to repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. He calls us in Romans twelve eighteen, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And he wraps up that chapter in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Clearly, as human beings, we are expected to trust. We are expected to do sometimes the hard thing because we believe these promises of God. Rather than blessing those who persecute us, it would be a whole lot easier and maybe it would feel more natural to curse those who persecute us, right? Return curses for curses and evil for evil, hurts for hurts. God is calling us in a different direction, but not in a vacuum. God is acknowledging that evil is real and he is promising to deal with evil. Now, a lot of times I might have a a tough time thinking about why that is necessary on days where the sun is shining and, and I feel like I'm being treated the way that I deserve to be treated and there aren't tragedies where innocent blood is being shed on the, the evening news and, and life just seems to be easy, right? Well, why in the world would the wrath of God even be a thing? But if we're listening and paying attention, we... We have 
tragically frequent reminders that evil is real. And evil is all around us. And I think another way of looking at this also is for God to be just, yeah. he has to have a side that's going to have punishment. Right. I mean, how fair is it for someone to follow God and do what's right? Here's someone who doesn't care at all about God, but the Lord refuses to, to enforce his rules, enforce his punishment. Um, you know, God's not just. Uh, God's favoring the, the evildoer in that case, and God's giving them pass. I mean, uh, you know, how many would drive the speed limit if we knew that we would never, ever get a ticket? Well, if that be the case, then no one drives the speed yeah. limit. And, and so the, the idea of accountability, we are accountable to the creator who made us, is part of this. Now, let me, let me just uh, grab a couple of passages here yes. from, from the book of Hebrews chapter 10. And then I've got a few more questions I want to ask you. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. He then says in verse 29, how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God as regard as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he has sacrificed and insulted the, the spirit of grace? And then in verse 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Yeah. And so to understand God, to really get God, I have to understand he's just. His, he, when he makes rules, he enforces those rules, and those that ignore those rules, they come with consequences. And so for God to say, here's what I want you to do, but you don't have to do it, and I'm not going to do anything to you, that makes God really unjust. It means makes his words worthless. And so part of a loving God is going to have a side that's wrathful and accountable and just and have punishment. That's how the Bible talks about that. Yeah, passages like that really emphasize for us the seriousness of what we're talking about, right? This is not an oopsie-daisy. This is not a, well, I could have done that a little bit better, little differently. I mean, you listen to that language. This is a living God who means what he says. When we sin, when we turn our back on him when we just do whatever we want to do. Listen to this language. We are trampling underfoot the Son of God. We are profaning the blood of the covenant. We are insulting the Spirit of grace. How how could we possibly read passages like that and and somehow convince ourselves, well, God really doesn't care that much about what he has said or that much about what he has done? What Jesus accomplished on the cross really wasn't that monumental. No, it's passages like that that hopefully instill within us a sense of the gravity of what we're dealing with. And, and I really appreciate how in that sermon you talk about how it cheapens grace yeah. and it makes grace really ineffective if there is no other side that's going to deal with the accountability of such right. things. Well, a, a question comes to, to our minds is, first of all, how do we know there is a hell? Yeah. Well, I in the second half of the lesson really took us back to the Gospel of Matthew and noted that Jesus described and warned about the hell of fire, to borrow from Matthew chapter 5, 
more than anybody in the Bible, right? And we went back and we looked a little at uh, some word origins and the word pictures that would immediately come to mind. But it's very clear as you read Matthew 5, Matthew 10, Matthew 18, Mark 9, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is not talking about just a valley on the south side of Jerusalem. He's not just talking about a state of mind. He's not just talking about some metaphorical way of uh, of suffering. Over and over and over again, he describes this as a place, a place of eternal unquenchable fire, a place of gloomy outer darkness, a place of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Well, how do I know that place exists? It's because the Son of God is telling me so. I I cannot somehow say, well, I am very interested in what he has to say about the place in John 14, that he's going to prepare for those who cling to him as the way, the truth, and the life. But I'm not interested in listening to what he has to say about this other place. No, the same Lord and Savior talked about them both. He talked about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. In fact, he talked about hell more than he talked about heaven, which is really kind of fascinating yeah. when we think about that. Yeah. And and a, and a, a passage I really think puts, puts this together, because I've run into a lot of people, they want heaven, but they don't want to believe in hell. Yeah. You know, I, I, I want heaven, and if for some reason I can't go to heaven, then I just, I'll be like my little goldfish, I'll just be dead all over, and that's <laughs> it. That I just won't exist anymore. But the very last verse of Matthew 25, Jesus says, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal eternal life. There he puts it in the same sentence. If there is a heaven, there is a hell. If there is no hell, there is no heaven. You cannot have one without the other. And in that passage, he uses eternal for both of them. The punishment is eternal. The life is eternal. And so, so, again, how we know there is a hell, Jesus tells us that. Well, and that's exactly what Paul is talking about in Romans, right? That in that one sentence from Matthew 25, we see God as the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. God is just in dealing with evil, but he is the justifier of the one who looks to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And so a question often comes out of this is, you know, we talk about fire in a book of mark it says i think three different places that the worm does not die i mean is this is that real or is that you know sometimes i've heard people talk about just a miserable miserable life on earth being hell yeah and that's not the way the bible paints and so what are we to make of those verses yeah i think the worm especially and that the the fire in that particular verse we really are helped by recognizing what would have been going through people's minds as jesus is initially talking about this in the first century he uses a compound greek word gehenna right and it is the Valley of Hinnom. Now, uh, we talked a little bit about this in the sermon. I won't rehearse all of that, but in the Old Testament, we can read about that. Joshua chapter 15, this was a well-known valley on the south side of Jerusalem. We read about Jewish kings going into this valley and offering their 
sons and daughters as human sacrifices in the Valley of Hinnom or Gehenna in, in Greek. But we also, in 2 Kings chapter 23, read about young Josiah when he became king defiling this valley, right? His grandfather had sacrificed some of his sons on uh, an altar in this valley. Josiah recognized how despicable that was. And so to keep people from doing it, I mean, for lack of a better term, he turned it into a garbage dump, right? And what do you do with garbage to get rid of it over the course of time? Well, you you burn it, right? And so for centuries on the south side of Jerusalem in this deep ravine, this was a burning garbage dump. Well, you don't have to have garbage around very long before... You get all sorts of nasty critters crawling through it, right? Worms, maggots, things like that. They have plenty to feast upon, right? It is a nasty picture of destruction. And that, I believe, is what Jesus is drawing from there in that Mark passage that I am talking to you about a the most unpleasant place you can imagine. It is a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Okay. I think one of the big questions that is in everybody's mind when we talk about this subject is, does the punishment fit the crime? And so if we were to use our analogies today, if somebody was caught over here at a local store shoplifting, he would not get life in prison, or we would not put him to the electric chair or the gas chamber or whatever, because because we would say, well, that that's too severe a punishment. Yeah. And so the thought that a lot of people have is hell's forever, and that doesn't seem fair if what I did was maybe I said a bad word or maybe I, I took a drink of alcohol or whatever I did was wrong and I'm going to get forever punished for something that I did. The crime and the punishment don't seem to be equal. Yeah. I, more than any other point for that sermon, I I thought long and hard about the why. Why would God start this? Um the passage that I landed on to try and help us in that sermon was Romans 1 and Romans 2. And any time you are struggling with why, why would God do this? Does the punishment fit the crime? Roger, you might have a different recommendation, but I, what comes to my mind is to read Romans 1 and Romans 2 because I don't know of a, a more succinct section of Scripture that exalts the righteousness of God and the ugliness of sin than those two passages. Paul in Romans 1 describes this terrible downward spiral that human beings are involved in when we fail to acknowledge God as God. We fail to honor him as God. And over the course of that uh, discussion, all the way into Romans chapter 2 and verse 2, he reaches this conclusion, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. The bottom line is, if I am struggling with the punishment that doesn't fit the crime, I'm going to have to reach a point where I 
I have to ask, do I believe God is telling me the truth here? If this place is real and this place is real because of sin, if I back up in my logic or God's logic, what does that mean? Well, hell is awful. Why? Because sin is awful. And I fear that when we're floating this, well, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. My problem is I have too small of a view of the crime. This is treason against the Lord of the universe. This is an affront to my perfectly holy creator. I think Romans 1 and Romans 2 is what I would recommend to broaden our perspective of just how awful not just hell is, but sin is. And I think the way I look at this question and the way I try to answer it for other people is I, I think we, we focus, like you said, too little on the crime. And yeah. so we think, okay, you know, here's somebody and I shoplifted a pack of gum. So I'm going to burn forever because I shoplifted a pack of the gum. No, that's not the issue. The issue is the first of the Ten Commandments was there be no other God. I make myself God. I ignore what the God says in the Bible. I live as I want to live. I do what I want to do. I answer to no one but myself. Right. I have made myself God. And uh, I'm not equal to that God. I can't do anything that that God can do. But in my mind, that's who I am. I am just, you know, it's no big deal. It's no big deal if I say a bad word. It's no big deal if I take a little drink. It's no big deal if I do this. We we sometimes here in Indiana talk about when you play pickup basketball, if there's no blood, there's no foul. <laughs> so as long as nobody gets hurt, yeah. it's no big deal. It doesn't matter what I say, what I do. It doesn't matter. Well, when, I, when I'm going down that road, I am making the rules. I am becoming as if I am God. That is the issue. The issue is not whether I, I took a piece of gum that didn't belong to me. The issue wasn't I said a bad word. The issue was I'm living as if God doesn't exist and what he says doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want to do. That is the issue. So when the person lives on earth without God, they will get an eternity without God. Yeah. That's what happens. And that's, that's the seriousness of this. And so when, when we come to the judgment scene in Revelation chapter 20 and we see the, the dead brought up before the throne and what we see is those who's the book was open, and those whose names were written in the book of life, they were given life. Now, were they perfect? No. They were saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Right. They were saved in the blood of Jesus. But by faith, they understood that they're not God. By faith, they understand, I need to do what God says to the best of my ability. By faith, my hope, my salvation is in God. When a person just lives to themselves, as if God doesn't live, this practical atheism is what they're doing. I may not say I'm an atheist, but I'm living as if I'm an atheist, and I do what I want to do. That's the outcome, that's the consequences, is an eternity without that God. Yeah, that's exactly what Romans 2 verse 8 says. When it speaks of those who are going to inherit wrath and fury, the designation attached to them is those who are self-seeking. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Okay, am I going to seek my will or the will of my Father? Am I going to put the will of Jesus first 
or my own. If I insist on being self-seeking, God will give me the reward that I deserve, and that will be eternity away from his presence. So if I want to live with him forever, I've got to have him in my life now. Yeah. I've got to walk with him. I've got to trust him. I've got to believe him. I've got to do what he says. So it's not the idea that I can live like a sinner and die like a saint. That doesn't happen. It's not in the Bible. And so I need, I need to see if I want to spend eternity with him, I need to be with him now and do what he wants me to do now. That's so important to see that. Yeah. There remains a sacrifice for our sins. Hebrews chapter 10 and his name is Jesus. Roger, I appreciate you being willing to walk back into that territory with me. It's a hard thing to preach. It's a hard thing to prepare for, hard thing to know what exactly approach to take, but uh, I appreciate it, as unpleasant as the topic is, the the reception to it, and uh, we need those perspective-broadening sermons every once in a while, and so thanks for walking back into that with me. Thanks to all of you for listening to This Week at Charlestown Road. We're Already looking forward to this evening. Roger, you're going to be teaching in our auditorium at 7 o'clock p.m. this evening. Yeah, we have just launched our new series of classes for this quarter, and we're talking about the marks of maturity, talking about the steps uh, it takes to help us finish this race that we're in. And so we'll be talking about a second aspect of this maturity that God wants us to have. In our Building Blocks track of studies, we're exploring this month on Wednesdays what is repentance? In many ways, that ties to our discussion even today. What What's the big deal about repentance and what's it look like? What's it take? We would love to see you at 7 o'clock p.m. this evening. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week. We would love to have you come and grow with us. 